Good morning. Merry Christmas. How many of you are set up for that? Some of you are. That's good. Got all your presents bought, everything? You got my presents bought yet? Yeah, yeah. I appreciated it, too. You don't have to buy me a present. You know what? The greatest present is Jesus, obviously. And that's what we're going to remember and that we remember every day. Uh, but we're going through the book of 1 Peter. And so this sermon's not going to be about Christmas. It's going to be about something that's kind of difficult for us to get a ho- our head wrapped around in a way because we really don't have the cultural experience to understand this completely. Last week, uh, Charles talked about the idea of government and how government has influence in our lives. And, and sometimes we, we don't really understand that that is ordained by God, that God is involved in that. And it seems very hard to understand that sometimes. If you read the Old Testament, you can understand that God used nations to chastise Israel when they didn't do what they were supposed to do. And that kind of helps you understand how governments work, that God is actively and working with them. And sometimes it's to bring about a greater good, a greater result that we don't see, but he sees and he knows. And today's a similar uh, passage of scripture. It's found in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, starting in verse 18 through 21. It says, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable if because of conscience towards God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults you take it patiently, but when you, are, but when you do good and suffer... If you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you are called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. And so we want to talk about this idea of being in submission and being how difficult that really is to be in submission for us and to follow in the steps of Jesus. If you think about Jesus Christ, there's one thing. There's one word that should always come when you think of Jesus, and that word is submission. And sometimes we think that word's a bad word, it's a negative word, but what it means is to be under authority, to be gird up, to lift up. And Jesus Christ was always in his life submissive to God. And so here we think in our culture today, what does this have to say to us? Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear. Well, the first thing that's kind of important to understand is this particular word servant here is the idea of a household servant, someone who lives, someone who lives in the household that's under the authority of the head of the household. And there's examples of this in the scripture, and those both examples that I'm going to share show you that, that we're called to be submissive. Now, there's, there's another example of what it is to be a slave and to be submissive to God that's found in Ephesians and chapter 5. It says, Bondservants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. 
and good will and with good will doing service as the in the Lord and not to men, knowing that the whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Now we've talked about this many times as Christians, we need to realize that we are slaves to Christ, that we are under his authority. And the thing that's important, I like that passage in Ephesians because it talks about the idea of being a bond servant. We've chosen to be under the authority of Christ. But once we choose that, then we have to understand that there's something we can't say. Uh, Blackaby talks about this in his study. But you can't say, no, Lord, and expect to be under the authority of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not something that we can say. Now, I don't know about you, but that kind of gives me a little pause about, wow, that's a commitment, isn't it? That's a commitment that we're making that is very, very strong. And so the word of God in this culture at this time was, was referring to the idea of slaves and masters. And if you look at the church, the interesting thing about the church is what was going on in the church. At that time, Romans had, uh, the Romans, they say, had up to 60 million slaves. Think about that. They, they had more slaves than they had their own population. Now, how did they accomplish that? Well, they did that by taking over nations, and as they took over nations, they put these people into slavery and bondage, and they, they served the Romans. So as the gospel progresses and you begin to preach the gospel, what happens? Well, slaves become Christians too. And sometimes masters become Christians. And if you've ever noticed, sometimes when your need is greatest, that's when people turn to the Lord. So I can imagine that many slaves turn to the Lord first. And so you come into the church and suddenly, who are the elders in the church? Well, they could well be the slave. And the master comes into the church, and it talks about that in James. You know, you don't give him a special honor just because he's a rich man. So they have to be submissive to who? Slaves. Wow, kind of. That's, that's what Jesus does a lot. Have you ever noticed that? He likes to turn your world upside down. He likes to make things different than the way you're used to them being. And so this is, these are the context of, of what's going on here. And so there, there are many, many slaves. We're slaves. And so it talks to us about how, how to deal with this. It says, servants, in verse 18, servants be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. And so here it, it's telling these literal slaves to do something that is totally foreign to an American. Right? Think about that. <laughs> do, you, do we ever think of ourselves as being slaves? I don't, unless I think about the scriptural context of it, see. But here, these people are literally slaves. And so he's saying, you, you, need to, you need to respect those, not only who are good and gentle, but also those that are harsh. And why is that? Because these 
Christian servants were proclaiming the gospel. And so they were speaking out to people that were over authority, that didn't understand what they're even about, didn't begin to understand the love of God. And so it's, it's the idea of being a Christian even when it hurts so that they could convert someone to the love of Christ. Now that's difficult. It's, it's, I, I, every, as I was prepared for this over the last month, I thought, thank you, Charles. I appreciate this uh, sermon message I got to give. <laughs> but but am, I, am I getting there? Am I starting to explain it? You know, that's, what, that's the deal. As Christians, we have something to accomplish. And so we have to be willing to suffer for it sometimes. That's, that's the sad part of it, isn't it? And he says, this is commendable to suffer for conscience sake before God. So these in commendable Christians who endured wrong to bring about a good result. They suffered grief and they suffered wrongfully. Now, I don't know about you, but that's hard for me to suffer wrongfully. But that's precisely what Jesus did. He suffered for us wrongfully. Some years ago, I mean, I'm sure this is, this is my age showing up again. There's a book called The Hiding Place. How many have ever heard of The Hiding Place? Well, that's good. And the, the author of The Hiding Place was Corey Tenboom. Corey Tenboom and her family uh, were arrested for taking care of Jewish people that are being herded up by the Romans by hiding them in their home. And they eventually, the Gestapo figured out what they were doing, and they were arrested, and they were sent to concentration camps. And Corey wrote the book, The Hiding Place, in regard to that. But Corey developed a ministry, and she was in Germany preaching. And I want to sh just share this with you. It was 1947, and I had come from Holland to, to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. When we confess our sins, I said, God casts them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence, and silence collected their wraps, and silence left the room. And that's when I saw him. working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush, the huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Now he was in front of me, a hand thrust out, a fine message, Fraulein, how good it is to know 
But as you say, our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take his hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard in there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Again, the hand came out, will you forgive me? And I stood there, I whose sins had every day to be forgiven and could not. Betsy had died in the place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that, it's, that he stood there and held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I, I had ever had to do. For I had to do it. Think about this. For I had to do it. The message that God forgives has a good uh, prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart, but forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. I love that. Regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that. You simply, you supply the feeling. And so, woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the, the one stretched out in front of me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The, the current started in my shoulder and ran down my arm sprang into our joined hands and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being bringing tears to my eyes I forgive you brother I cried out with all my heart for a long moment we grasped each other's hands the former guard and the former prisoner and I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then now that's what they're talking about here, it, it's talking about being treated harshly by your master as a slave and yet looking for a way to help them understand the forgiveness of God. Now, I don't know about you, and, and she, she goes on to talk about that that's not the only time she ever struggled with that. She had to struggle with it over and over again, but how powerful that is and what an example that is to suffer for, for doing something good. Do you see that? 
She was doing something good. They were protecting innocent people, and yet they went to prison for it, and they, were, they suffered greatly for it. And so in this passage, we, we see that, that, that Peter talks of two kinds of suffering, the suffering that you deserve and, and the suffering that you get for doing the right thing. And so we can think about suffering that you deserve. Can you, can you remember, any of you have any of you have ever heard this, you wait till your father gets home? <laughs> Usually, in my case, that was something I deserved. You know, I had it coming, and I knew it. I'd done something wrong. Uh, you know you deserve that. And as Christians, we, we have to understand something that we deserve that. Every one of us, we deserve to be punished, don't we? But because of the grace of God and his love for us, we're forgiven. We get that. We, we understand it. And, and we got to live that way. And, and that's just in our DNA as Christians. That's who we are. That's, that's what we've received. And then there's suffering for doing good. And that's a place Christians can often find themselves as well. Have you ever noticed that? For doing the right thing. It's pretty obvious now. If you just pay attention to what is being said about Christians, you know that it's true. Christians are bigots. Christians are prejudiced. Christians are haters. The Bible talks about that. The world's upside down. What's good is evil and what is evil is good. That's how the world sees it. And so we understand that. So it all through our history, people as Christians have suffered for doing good. And here he's saying, well, don't let that keep you from what you're called to do, which is to show people the love of Jesus Christ. See, it's hard to handle that. <laughs> I don't like that. Do you like that? But then I think of Jesus, and I've suffered nothing compared to him or any of probably most of you. But I think of Jesus. In Isaiah 53, it, it, it foreordains, it tells what, what Jesus would be like and what he's going to do. And, and here in this, in this chapter, Isaiah 53, verse 7, it says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before the shearers, he is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He dropped down to verse 9, and it says, And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. In other words, he'd done nothing wrong, and yet Jesus died for us. And so he's telling these servants, that, that are suffering, no doubt, to do the same. That others might know that Jesus can forgive them of their sin. And so dealing with it patiently pleases God. It's, it's pleasant to Him. It brings glory to Him. Have you ever caught yourself reading in a book or, or looking at somebody's life and you, and you catch yourself saying, how can they do that? I can't. That's exactly what Corey said. I can't. And you can't. I don't believe you can either. I can't 
But by the power of the Holy Spirit, people do things that seem totally impossible. Read about China, read about Russia, read about persecution around the world and see what these people are doing and you're going to see that they're doing this very thing. They're slaves, they're captives, and, and, they're, and they're doing these very things that we're reading about here. This is not just something that happened in the past. It's happening right now, and it happens in our life where we have to understand that as well. You're going to get hurt, as sad as it is. You're going to get hurt from time to time as you walk as a Christian. It's the way it is. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 20 and 21 says, For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to do this, you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Have you ever noticed that God calls us to do hard things? <laughs> just, just think about it. Uh, Gideon. I like Gideon. He's, he's one of my favorites. Gideon's told to go up against the, the Midianites and the Amalekites with 300 men. He started out with 30,000, and as I recall, there's 120,000 or more than of, of them. And God whittles it down to 300. That's a hard thing. That's a tough thing to do, but we know that Gideon did it. There's all kinds of examples of things like that. David fights a Goliath. Fights a, fights a giant with a slingshot. Uh, Peter stands up in, in, in the book of Acts to the, the council and says, uh, as whether I should follow God or man, you be the judge, but I'm going to do what God says. And that's a paraphrase, I realize. But see, he's called to do something hard. We're called to do something hard. And so I have an example here. And I want you to think about as I read this, what would you do? Because I thought about this. What would you do? Uh, this man's name is Aja Lal. This comes from a book called Renegade uh, from a man who's starting a church off the strip in Las Vegas. <laughs> uh, so let's read this. Aja is a missionary in India. He told stories about courageous Christians ministering in very dangerous areas. He talked about a time when two of his friends asked him to join them on a trip through India. They, they would go to different villages and towns and tell people about Jesus. Aja joined them and, and initially it went well. Then one night his friend said, to, said their next stop was Rajapur, a city of almost 100,000 people, none of whom were Christians, where Jesus had never been preached. They excitedly told him he'd be the first person to ever tell the people about Jesus and that 10,000 posters had already been posted around the city announcing that Aja, Law, was coming to preach about Jesus. What they did not tell him was that Rajapur is a city where Islam extremists are trained and where Christians are not allowed to live. Okay, now think about this for a minute. We're all excited. We're going to go preach the gospel. Well, you're going to do it. Christians aren't allowed to live there. 
the one man who previously tried to speak about Jesus there was killed. They went to Rajapur, and the chief of police told them not to have their meeting. He explained that thousands of people were already marching in protest, and that if this meeting happened, they would there would be a riot. Aja's friend argued, we live in a democratic nation. You can't stop us. The police chief conceded that, that and said to have the meeting, they would have to sign a paper stating that if the meeting caused unrest, if the crowd got agitated, the police had permission to shoot the person speaking about Jesus. Aja's friend said, give me that paper. I'm ready to sign it. Aja said, you're ready to sign it, but I'm the one preaching. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not ready to sign it. So he calls his wife and children. And the wife and the children beg him, don't do this. But this is what his wife says. His children begged him not to preach there, but his wife told him that God wanted him to do this. You need to preach, she said, and you will preach the best message of your life. We will be on our knees. They held the meeting outside where anyone could come. Hundreds of extremists showed up, carrying guns and swords and iron rods. When it came time for Aja to speak, the chief told five of his deputies to point their rifles at him. When I give you the signal, he instructed, shoot this man. Now, what are you going to do about this time? You still thinking about that? I think I'm on a train to wherever. <laughs> I don't know the towns in Aja walked up to this mic and began explaining why Jesus is unique, why he is the only one who can give salvation. After 40 minutes of speaking, he finished and sat down. When he did, the police chief said, I have always hated Christians and hated Jews, but now that I've heard the message, this is the message of life, of eternal life, of salvation and hope. They ended up starting a church in Rajapur. And that church has since started another church. And see, that's the deal. God is always asking his people to do things that seem really difficult. When's the last time you felt challenged to do something really difficult that God is asking you to do? You know, we're all called to, to, to be those that share the gospel that preach the truth. And it's not going to be easy. And it contradicts much of the theology that you hear today of being healthy, wealthy, and wise. That's not what it's about. It's about loving God to the point that you want to and would be willing to die for Him. And you know, that's easy for me to say. It's easy for me to say that because I've never been in that situation. But we're all in uncomfortable things sometimes, and we have to deal with things sometimes, just like the wings are dealing with what's going on with Murray right now. Murray Watson's in the hospital, and he's really not doing very well. And it's, it's tough, and some of you have health issues, and you're dealing with those things. And, and there's things at home, and there's things at, at work, and there's things everywhere you go that, that are difficult, and we've got to deal with them. But the thing is, we've got to understand that we're not dealing with them by ourselves. We're dealing with them through God's grace and by his might and by his spirit.
And, and that's the point here. I hope I'm making it. That these people were called to do something that humanly you can't do it. But with the Spirit of God, by His strength you can. And the interesting thing is, I believe God expects us to do it. I don't think he's pulling any punches. He's asking us to do it. See, it's not easy to live like Jesus, to put others first like Jesus did. You know, people came to Jesus and, and uh, wanted to follow him, and he, he told them, you know, I don't have a home to live in. I don't have a place to, to rest my head. And they began to make excuses. Well, well, I got to go home and bury my father. And he says, well, let the dead bury the dead. I got to go home and say goodbye to those people. And he, and he told them, no, if you, if, you do, if you put your hand to the plow and you, and you look back, you're not worthy of the kingdom of God. But somehow in this affluent world we live in, we kind of forget all these things. That's why we need to be in the word of God. That's why we need to read these things and know these things are true. These people were called to do some things that caused them to risk their life. Daniel's told not to pray. And what did he do? He obeyed God and he prayed. But he didn't try to fight. He didn't try to strike out. He didn't try to hurt anyone. He just took what God led him to do. And what did God do? He did something miraculous. And Corey Ten Boom, in our lifetime, chose to do something that was hard to do, to forgive, and she did. And, and it was a blessing. That guard will work through what he did. That's up to him. But she's free. You see that? And if she didn't do that, you understand that she'd be in bondage for her life because she would be held captive by that. And Agile Law, he was faithful to God. What if he'd have died? You know, wouldn't it be quite as pleasant of a story, would have it? But there are people doing it all around the world. And so we need to understand that this is this is relevant to us as it was to those servants who were literally slaves. Because we follow Jesus and he's our master. So let's stand. We're going to sing our invitation hymn this morning. If there's a decision to be made, we'd ask you to come as, as we uh, sing this song.